0: My name is Jacob. I haven't met you before. I'm an elder here at uh, Friendship. I mentioned this in the first service as well, but I didn't know we got got to use props whenever we host. So uh, just look out for that in the future. I'll probably be using some props as well uh, just to keep things lively. Um, It's great to be with you again preaching. Um, I know a lot of you were on vacation last week with it being Labor Day weekend. Um, So welcome back. Um, I hope you did something fun and enjoyable and relaxing. My wife and I, um, we enjoyed our long weekend, of course, but we um, were spending time redoing our countertops. We had some extra time, and so we figured now is the time to do it. And if you've done a home project before, you know that it always, um, almost always, is more work than what you anticipated. And so we've been spending a lot of time this past week working on our countertops. Uh, in fact, this last Tuesday, I went into work. I was talking with a coworker about our long weekend, and um, we were just talking about how our weekends were. And he, he looked at me, he's like, man, you look tired. I'm like, yeah, I'm I'm stressed about these dang countertops. Is all I was thinking about. So, um, I'm hope I hope that you, you did enjoy the the weekend. I know last week Pastor Andrew preached a, a great message about Sabbath and rest. And if you weren't you haven't listened to it yet, I encourage you to go back and listen to it. He talks about this issue specifically about how oftentimes we go on vacation, we have some time away, and we come back and we still don't feel rested. And so, talks about deep soul rest in that sermon. So if you haven't listened to it, please uh, go back and and do so. I'd encourage you to do that. Um, This week we're moving on to the fifth commandment. The title of the sermon is Honor Elders. Honor Elders. Um, The fifth commandment being about honoring your father and mother. And and so if you have kids, maybe you've weaponized this against them before. Um, If they've been disobedient or maybe when you're growing up it was used against you. And uh, I think oftentimes, I mean, that was the first thing that popped into my mind when I heard When I was reading over this, honor your your father and mother, and and that's what I think of. And it's in our Bible. So, of course, we want to use it. We want to use it wisely. We want to to understand it. And again, so often when we hear it, that's kind of the context that we think of. But what we've seen as we've been going through the Ten Commandments is that all of these are issues of the heart. And we see Jesus in the New Testament deal with the commandments as issues of the heart. They have expansive meaning. And I think what you'll see this morning is that this commandment does as well. Um, I want to start by uh, quoting Jen Wilkin, who's the author of this book we've been going through, Ten Words to Live By, along with the sermon series. And she says this in this chapter um, on the fifth commandment. She says, The fifth word is the hinge point in the Decalogue, that's the Ten Commandments, at which the discussion of showing honoring moves from God, in commandments 1 to 4, to human authorities in the fifth commandment, to one another in commandments 6 to 10. So, do you see what she's saying there? She's saying, although the only commandment that uses the word honor is the fifth commandment, all of them deal with the concept of honor. All of them deal with the concept of honor. The first four deal with how we honor God, the fifth one deals with how we honor human authorities, and the final five deal with how we honor one another. So, honor is an essential theme in the Ten Commandments, is it not? And so this morning, that's what I want to talk about. I want to talk about the concept of honor, um, and I want to take it in three points. What is it? Who is it for? Specifically, who are we called to honor in this commandment, and where do I get it? What is it? Who is it for? Where do I get it? So if you have your Bible, we're going to start by reading the Ten Commandments up, well, up through the Fifth Commandment. And that's in Exodus chapter 20, starting at verse 1. I'll read and follow along with me as we do so. All right, Exodus 20, starting at verse 1. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. If you would pray with me as we jump into this. Lord, please come and help now. Um, We pray that you would uh, open up our hearts and our our minds, our eyes, to see um, how this commandment applies. Um, Please make my words accurate and helpful. Um, Just pray that you would give us worshipful hearts towards you as well. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, honor, what is it? What is it? I think if you asked a random person, a regular person, what the word honor meant, I think that they would do a pretty good job defining it. I think you'd probably get something like it's to respect someone, to look up to them. They might think of someone like uh, someone who's in the military who goes overseas to serve um, their country. They would look at that person and say, that, that's an honorable person. What they're doing is honorable, or a, a police officer, or a firefighter that's serving our community. Or maybe even a political or a social figure that's standing up for what they believe in. You look at them and you say, what they're doing is is difficult, it's honorable. Um, recently, I was talking with a friend, and we have a mutual friend who's a police officer. And that police officer told him, you know, I got to make sure when I'm not working, I got to change out of my uniform because when I go in public uh, in my in my police officer uniform, I, always get, I get people coming up to me constantly saying, thank you for your service, which is, I'm sure it's, I mean, that's a good thing. And I'm sure maybe some of you have done that here today. You, you go up to somebody and you say that to a police officer or someone who's been in the military. And what are we doing when we do that? We're, we're honoring them. We're esteeming them. We're praising them. We're raising them up to a place above the rest. Um, sometimes when we're trying to think of what a word means, it's good to think of what the opposite meaning is, so what does it mean to dishonor somebody you You can probably think of some examples of what it means to to dishonor somebody. Maybe someone writes a social media post or writes an article about how despicable someone is or how you know what they're doing is is not good, and that's a way of dishonoring what they're what what they're doing, who they are. Um, we could say that it's slandering someone. It's bringing them down. It's rubbing their face in the mud. Um, Another way that you can, that's kind of the far end of the spectrum, right? Like if someone would just totally slander someone publicly. Um, We also see a way that someone is dishonored in Romans chapter 1, 21 to 23. It says this, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. So, did you catch what the people did here? They don't honor God, but instead they honored created things, animals, birds, things resembling mortal man. So, based on that, how is God dishonored? How is God dishonored? They weren't going out and, and publicly slandering God. No, but what they were doing is is that instead of giving God the honor due to him because of his character, because of his divine nature, because of his eternal power, because of his character, they misplaced it to things that were created, to things that were created actually by God, to give things that were supposed to point to the, the honor of God, So instead of honoring God, they exchanged it for honoring created things, and therefore God was dishonored. So God was brought down. God is brought down not in reality, but God is brought down in our thinking, in our hearts. Um, We can't alter God's nature, but we can can dishonor him in in our hearts and in our minds. So back to the question at hand, what does it mean to honor? It means to esteem someone, esteem what they say, what they do, who they are, to praise them, to raise them up in our thinking. First um, Corinthians four uh, ten says this. Uh, uh, Paul is writing to the Corinthians here, at the church at Corinth, and he says, "We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor, but we in disrepute." So, what is Paul saying? He is speaking to Christian believers in Corinth, and he's saying, "You're held in honor. You're rich. You're praiseworthy." You're wise, you're strong, but then referring to himself and the other apostles, he says, we are thought of as lowly, of poor reputation. Later on in that passage, he would say they're the scum of the earth. So he's saying, we, the apostles, are dishonored, and y'all are honored. We see here that honoring, it goes deeper than just actions, but it goes to the disposition of our hearts, the disposition of our thinking. It's how we think of someone, how we react to them, how we esteem them, we look up to them, we look down to them. We get this, don't we? We, we have people that we honor and we have people that we dishonor. You Maybe you grew up in church and you have a Sunday school teacher or a pastor or a mentor that you honor in your thinking and in your heart. You might, you might have seen them serve the community in a special way or care about those around them in a very loving way and in your heart and in your thinking, you, you honor them. Um, maybe it's a teacher or a coach as you were growing up that was really impactful to you or that cared about you or was really kind to you. And it's the same with dishonor, dishonoring. Maybe you have a boss at work who doesn't treat um, their employees well, and so you, in your heart and your mind, you dishonor them. Um, maybe even you slander them to those around you because of the way that they act. And so this brings us directly into the next point that I want to observe, which is this. Who is it for? Honor, who is it for? And this question seems a little bit obvious, I think, because the commandment tells us who to honor. It tells us who to honor. It says, honor your father and your mother. And so what this means is that we honor our parents for their insights. We honor them for their experiences, for their wisdom, their guidance, their direction. And this, of course, it doesn't mean that parents Lord it over their children, just like the Bible calls elders and pastors not to lord it over the flock their 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 office of being an elder. Um, it's not to be abused or weaponized. Um, but as as a parent loves their children, instructs them, guides them, um, their children are called to honor their parents. So this means children, and by the way this Jen Wilkin talks about this in the chapter a little bit, but this includes adult children. I am a child, even though I'm, you know, I have children of my own now, but my parents are still living and I can still honor them. Oftentimes, I think when we think of this commandment, you could think of just little children who have parents that are literally telling them what they should do all day, every day. But no, it applies also to adult children, and I think as we'll see, it applies to everybody because we all have authority over us. Um... But it applies to children, and what we want to do is, um, when our parents differ in opinion to us, or they strongly advise us to go in a certain direction, we don't totally dismiss them. Um, We don't embarrass them for their viewpoint just because it's different from us, or it's maybe more traditional, or, or whatever it might be. No, we instead remember that their viewpoints are likely stemming from their own experiences, Maybe if we think about what they're saying deep enough, maybe there actually is wisdom in what they're saying. right? I'm sure parents, if you've had teenagers or older, or you've been through this with kids, you're like, amen. I can't get them to listen to me. I know exactly what they're going through, but they won't listen. And I would just call children to just consider uh, if that's the case. Um, So much wisdom in this world comes primarily from Experience. And those experiences that our parents and others over us, what they've been through may inform the wisdom that they're sharing with us. And so if we would honor our parents, if we would remember the wisdom that they have to pass on to us, we would remember the good that they have provided for us in the past. If we would raise them up in our thinking, we can prosper, just as the verse tells us that we can. Um... I can think of this practically in my own life. When I was growing up, I was a good a good kid. I wasn't a, I wasn't particularly rebellious or anything like that. Um, but I I I didn't really go to my parents for advice. Willing you know willingly, they would offer advice, sure if um, given the chance. But uh, but I didn't go to them constantly for relationship advice or advice at my job, my part time job when I was in you know like college. Um, but now. I I go through things as a parent, as an employee, at, at a workplace, in the church, whatever it might be, and when I'm in conversation with them, I can think, man, my parents have probably been through this, and so I'll ask them, like, hey, wh- have you been through, th-? you know, and just in regular conversation, those things will come up. So, and what's happening there? In the past, I didn't honor them in that way in my mind and in my heart. I, w- I didn't think man, my parents probably can help me with this. Actually, probably I dishonor them in some way because I thought they don't really understand what I'm going through, so I'm not going to talk to them about it. But now, um, you know, when when I'm going through my day and I, and I come across hard things, oftentimes I honor them in my heart and in my mind by thinking my parents probably went through something like this. And sometimes I'll ask them about, about that. Um, and I think that's what we're called to do here. Uh, of course, that's not easy to do, and I'll admit that's not easy for me to do, and I don't think it's easy for any of us to do, and I think there can be some reasons for that. One, I think that we don't naturally like authority. We, our hearts are averse to authority. I think, one, we live in a culture that's very individualistic, and so our culture tells us, people tell us, our friends tell us Follow your heart. Follow what you feel. Follow what you think is best for yourself. And so naturally what flows out of that is we don't think to regard what our parents are saying, what our boss at work says, what, um, you know, somebody else who has been through this um, says. Instead, we want to follow the way that we feel. We feel like, you know, I can get this figured out on my own. I'm going to follow what my heart says. And so that naturally, that sort of thinking tells us not to listen to parents, not to listen to authorities. In fact, it can tell you to go against what your parents say, against what institutions say, so on and so forth. And so our culture, our friends, influencers, celebrities, they tell us the opposite message of what this commandment tells you. And so that's one thing, I think, and I think that's a huge point to make. I think we need to be aware that oftentimes when, I mean, have you been there where you hear advice from somebody, from your parents, and just no matter how wise it may seem, you're just like I'm not listening to that. I'm gonna do what I think is best, and so I would just call, I would just call you to consider that, um, to consider your heart. And then I think another one I want to hit on is that it can be difficult because many of us grew up in broken homes. We we haven't had healthy relationships with our parents. We haven't had a healthy relationship with our mom or our dad, and so. I think a big question you might ask this morning is, "How do I honor my parents when I don't see that they deserve honor?" Right? Because I think I'm sure there are many of you here who can. Well, I think we'll get to that point a little bit later. But many of you here that you look at your your parents and you say, "How do I honor them if they were not if they didn't honor me as a as a child? How can I honor them if they didn't treat me well? If they abused me? If they neglected me? If they um, treated me poorly?" And so. I do have a little bit of a cop-out answer to that this morning. I, I'm not going to be able to answer that for everybody because I think, I think there's different wisdom for different circumstances. Um, I think it would be probably unwise for me just to give a blanket, a blanket answer to that kind of question. But I do want to. I do want to say because it might be the case that you grew up in a home where you were abused or mistreated, maybe horribly, and and if that's the case for you, my message to you today is not that you honor your parents by simply forgetting how they treated you, as if it didn't matter, um, as if what they did didn't greatly harm you or hugely impact you and your relationship with them. And the reason I I say that is because I think historically some churches, the tendency has been when there's been great harm done in the context of a family, um, the church's counsel to those that have been harmed is to simply quote-unquote, forgive and forget on the spot. And if you don't move on, if you try and process it or place boundaries or, depending on the severity of the situation, get authorities involved, if you try and get out of the situation, depending on what's going on, whatever it might be, that you're not being godly and you're the problem. And that's not my answer on how to honor your, your parents or authorities in this uh, commandment. Um, Yes, of course, I would advise you to forgive them, pursue forgiveness in your heart towards them, do what you can to move towards them in relationship, but often what that involves actually is setting boundaries or moving out of a situation or whatever it might be depending on what you're in. I mean, I can think of people right now that I know that have had very poor relationships with their parents. Um, There was some kind of abuse involved, and my advice to them would be, yes, seek forgiveness, seek to move towards them in a relationship, but I wouldn't tell them, go and live with that parent who potentially abuses you, right? That would be very poor advice to give. Don't, don't just forget it as if everything's just going to get better um, by you forgetting that it happened. So I just wanted to say that for those that are in that kind of situation, because I think that question arises when someone says, honor your father and mother, and there's, it's like, we, we all live with some kind of brokenness in our lives, and that may be where you're at. So, And one thing I would encourage you towards, because I can't give a blanket answer to that, is this is a great, a great reason to be involved in community because there are other people in this church who have been through what you're going through. Oftentimes, our tendency is not to believe that, but it's true. And I've seen in many, many cases where someone is going through something and they find someone. God directs them to someone in the church who is able to walk through that situation with them, give them wisdom, um, and so on and so forth. So there are people here who can bear those burdens with you. So just wanted to make that point. Now moving on from that, why does the Bible place a special emphasis on honoring parents? Why does the Bible place a special emphasis on honoring parents? I don't think, we've mentioned this, I don't think that this commandment only applies to fathers and mothers. I think in a broader sense, it also applies to others, especially those that are are in authority over us. Jen Wilkin actually makes this point in this chapter of the book. Uh, She quotes from the Westminster Larger Catechism, and it says this by father and mother in the fifth commandment are meant not only natural parents but all superiors in age and gifts and especially such as by god's ordinance are over us in place of authority whether in family church or commonwealth so like the other commandments that we've studied the fifth commandment has a wider scope than what what may seem obvious to us on the surface why is that? Why is there a special emphasis placed on parents? And my best answer, I think, would be this. I think there's a special emphasis uh, placed on honoring parents because mother and father are the primary and formative examples of authority in our lives. I think there's a special emphasis on honoring parents because mother and father are the primary and formative examples of authority in our lives. I think almost all of us um, are able to relate in some capacity to this commandment and I think because we've, we've had parents, we've got some kind of relationship with them, and God is trying to teach us something about authority through it. I can't tell you how many times my wife and I, in our own lives or in, in talking with friends, um, close friends, we've noticed the way, how, the way that we've interacted with our parents growing up, that pattern is repeated throughout our lives in so many different kinds of relationships with our boss at work, with our other friends, with our coworkers, with our peers, with others in the church. The way that we relate to our parents seems to replicate itself in our relationships with others. We often project our relationship with our parents onto our relationships with others in our lives. Um, I've talked about this before. I'm a huge sports fan, and so my whole life I've kind of, you know, watched ESPN and listened to all the sports podcasts and that sort of thing. And I've heard it talked about how um, maybe a a general manager of a professional sports team, they will, you know, that's the person that's in charge of getting players on their team, selecting what players they're going to draft. And uh, I've heard them talk about how one thing that they, one factor that they look into is a player's relationship with their family or their parents. They'll, they'll often want to meet their parents and see how this player relates to their parents or other family because it's gonna tell them, inform them about how they're gonna relate to their teammates, to their coaches. It's gonna, if, if they want this person to be a leader on their team, the way that they uh, relate to authority you know they don't want to bring in somebody that has a tox that that may be toxic to their team. And so I think what this what the it's an example of what tells us, you know, whether or not we honor our parents will be replicated in how we honor and relate to other authorities in our lives. Do you see that in your own life? The way that you relate to your parents can often be very similar to how you relate to your, your bosses at work, or whatever it might be. And so what I want us to do today is ask this question the next few days, over the next week or two, how can I honor my parents or other authorities in this situation that I'm in? So yes, my opinion may differ from theirs, but the, does that mean I need to put down their intelligence in my heart or my mind? Um, Yes, they may have said something hurtful to me. They may have embarrassed me. And we want to recognize that's wrong. They should not do that. But does that mean I need to slander them to my friends and family? Let us apply this principle to our lives. Um, And one final point I I want to make about who this commandment refers to is this. Throughout the New Testament, in particular, the church body is referred to as a family. Jen Wilkin also makes this point in this chapter of the book um and i want to read from it here it's on page 79 of the book she says this the church is the family your family of origin could not be in the gospels jesus applied familial language to his followers whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother because of their controversial faith first century believers could not rely on natural family relationships Many indeed had to leave father, mother, and brothers to follow Jesus. The church became their spiritual family, the network of love, honor, and accountability that they needed for spiritual, emotional, and even physical support. Familial language pervades the New Testament epistles. The epistles address their hearers as brothers and sisters. Paul instructs Timothy to relate to younger members of his church as siblings. We will need a deep appreciation for spiritual siblinghood to navigate the remaining five commands. But for the fifth commandment, we must pay attention to the parent language of the New Testament. Paul instructs Timothy to relate honorably to older members as spiritual mothers and fathers. He says to the church at Corinth, for I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. And he even honors a spiritual mother of his own when he sends greetings to the mother of Rufus, who has been a mother to me as well. And so I think many of us, we, I, we can identify with this sentiment that um, we have family in the church. Um, for many of us, our brothers, our sisters, our mothers, our fathers in the church, they have come and they've surrounded us, and for many of us, in a way that our biological family never did. And so many of us may look at our church family as closer to us than our biological family. And so if you're here today and you have deep brokenness in your family, you can find family here in the church. There is a depth of relationship that can happen here. There is an openness that you can have, a vulnerability that can't be surpassed because of the union brought to us by the Spirit of God that lives in each one of us. And so if that is you, if and maybe you haven't, gotten to that point where, where you feel comfortable doing that. But I want to invite you today into that here at this church. If if you haven't experienced that before, it's marvelous. You can, you can be known. Um, there are people here who will share your burdens, who will weep with you, rejoice with you, who will share wisdom with you. Like I mentioned before, there are people who are going through the same situations that you are, that can help you, that can bring wisdom to you, that can bear your burdens. Who will, They'll rejoice with you, and they'll go through everything with you. I, I just want to share here a little bit of a personal example. My my wife and I, we moved here a little over three years ago from Missouri, and we both have great relationships with um, our parents and our families, um, but they live in Missouri, so they live geographically really far away, and we've had a lot of major milestones here um, living here in South Carolina. We've had two kids born Um, I've gotten a new job, we've bought a house, so on and so forth. And so there were things that my family, although we would talk with them and they would encourage us and advise us, um, there are just certain things that they can't do that far away. And so in those moments, we've leaned on the church. And even, I would say, we've just had people step up and and come and serve us in so many different ways. Um, People that will watch our kids, people that um, well we can just talk to when we're going through something difficult who will bear burdens with us so I've experienced this and it's it's deep and it's wonderful and it's it's something different that a biological family can't provide because uh, outside of Christ I should say um, and so I would encourage you into that today if, if that is you and and whatever that next step is for you. Maybe you're, you're brand new here and you haven't been to like new to friendship before. You haven't heard us talk about that, but I'd invite you head over to next steps and, and talk about, you know, talk with us about, you know, what could I do to become more involved here to get more planted? Um, because there is a deep sense of family that you can experience here. So that's who honor is for. And now last point is how do I get it? How do I get it? And I want to start off by reading again from this chapter of the book, Jen Wilkin. Um, she speaks about the way that honor and love relate to one another. She says this. She says, Honor is an expression of rightly ordered love. When we love as we should, we honor the object of our love as we should. It is possible to show honor whether we love an individual or not, at least outwardly. We may speak of God or others honorably with, while lacking love for them. We may act sacrificially toward God or others while lacking love for them. Honor rendered without love is still better for the common good than dishonor, but it is an empty obedience. Do you see what she's saying here? There is a way that we can honor our parents, a way that we can honor authorities in our lives, honor others in the church without actually loving them. Um, And it can even look on the outside like love um, and yet not contain any. So what does this mean? This means that our objective in honoring somebody is not just to show face, not just to make it look like we're honoring them, not just to make it look like to them or to others that we're honoring them, but to actually love them while we do it. When we honor in this way, when we honor with, while lacking love, what we're really doing is loving ourselves, is it not? Let me explain. When we, let's say we honor our parents, maybe we do it just so that they'll give us what we want or to appease them. Maybe we honor our boss just to schmooze them so that we can get a pay raise or get a promotion. What if we honor others so that, just so that God will look down on me and bless me? Um, that so that he'll be happy with me this is a backwards way of honoring those around us no our objective is to honor others because of our love for them Uh, i'm sure you've heard this verse before very popular verse or verses uh, first corinthians 13 1 to 3 says this if i speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love I am a noisy gong or a clinging Symbol, And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I gave away all I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. And I think God gives me liberty to say, if I honor my father and mother but have not love, I've given nothing. Um, do you know the book of Esther? Um, in the book of Esther, there's a story going on between two men, Haman and Mordecai. Haman is a high-up official with the king, and uh, Mordecai is a Jew. He is living in a foreign land. Um, his, the Jews have essentially been taken captive by neighboring nations. And uh, it, it was commanded by the king that this Haman, who is the the king's official, anytime he would walk by the king's servants— um, they would have to bow down to Haman, and that included Mordecai, the, this Jew. And, uh, but Mordecai decided he was not going to bow down to Haman. And that greatly angered Haman to the point where Haman wanted to wipe out the entire Jewish people. And in fact, he wanted to do it so bad that he went to the king and he said, I will pay you 10,000 talents of silver just so that we can wipe out the Jewish people. Furthermore, he even, uh, he ended up plotting to ask the king if he could have Mordecai hanged because of this dishonor that he was showing him. Um, and so that's kind of where we're at in the story. And, and, and what we see is the night before Haman is actually going to go to the king and ask to have Mordecai hanged, going to ask the king. Um, the king is unable to sleep. And the king asked for what's called the book of memorable deeds to be brought to him. Apparently they had a book where they wrote down uh, memorable memorable deeds in. And and so he had someone read it to him. And we're not sure if if he didn't remember that this happened or if he didn't know that Mordecai was involved or, or what exactly the situation was. But it's told to him through this record that Mordecai, the Jew, the servant, that sometime before this... Um, that Mordecai had discovered a plot by some of the king's eunuchs to have the king harmed physically. And so apparently Mordecai overheard that that was going to happen, and so he tells Queen Esther about it, and Queen Esther goes to the king, and they find out, and the king is saved, and they punish the eunuchs, and so on and so forth. And so at this point in the story, I want to stop and pause for a moment because I think we see the two ways of honoring that we were just talking about. Honor with love and honor without. First, Haman. Haman honors the king. How? He honors the king financially. He gives the king 10,000 talents of silver, a lot of, a lot of money. But why is he doing it? Why is he doing it? He is doing it so that his own motivation will be fulfilled. He is doing it selfishly. He is doing it so that the Jews, he will get to see the Jews wiped out. And so, Is he really honoring the king or the kingdom by doing this? No, of course not. He's honoring himself. He wants his own selfish ambitions to be fulfilled. He wants to see the Jewish people wiped out. On the other hand, we see Mordecai. Mordecai, he's a lowly servant living in a foreign land. He hears about how harm is going to befall a king, and this king is essentially his master, He's living in a foreign land, so it's, it's, he's really not even his true king. So he could be tempted to not even feel any allegiance to this king. And yet, he still informs about the attempt on this king's life. He could have even used this information for his own selfish benefit, could he not? He could have gone to the king and said, Hey, I've got this really good information. Uh, what are you going to do for me? You know, he could have said... I, I, I need some money or something, or I need, I need something that you'll give me. But he doesn't do that. There's no indication that that is what Mordecai does. He, he simply informs the king with no indication that he expected to receive anything in return. And maybe he even could have been harmed for speaking up. Um, but what you see is Mordecai informed the king out of love. He informed the king out of care for him. How do we know this? We know this because he didn't expect anything in return. He wasn't doing What did Mordecai have to benefit from doing this? Nothing, really. I mean, I guess the king could have found out that it was him, and, and, but that wasn't the case immediately. And so there's no indication that Mordecai was doing it for selfish ambition, but rather out of love, not for a reward, but simply out of love for the king. And so we pick back up in the story, the king, after hearing about this act from Mordecai, he thinks, I want to reward this person. Um, Unbeknownst to Mordecai, he didn't know that the king was going to do this. And what he actually does is the king pulls in Haman, Mordecai's enemy, and he has this interesting conversation with Haman. He says, Haman, what should be done to the man whom the king delights to honor? The king speaking of Mordecai, but Haman doesn't know he's speaking of Mordecai. And Haman eventually answers the king by saying, "'For the man whom the king delights to honor, let royal robes be brought, which the king has worn, and the horse that the king has ridden, and on whose head a royal crown is set. And let the robes and the horse be handed over to one of the king's most noble officials. Let them dress the man whom the king delights to honor, and let them lead him on the horse,'' through the square of the city, proclaiming before him, this shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. You see, just as the fifth commandment tells us, when we honor those in authority, uh, those over us in authority in this world, there is good that canon will happen to us. We will prosper. Things will go well with us in the world. And that's exactly what happened with Mordecai. That's what happens in this world. And so... What I do want to encourage us this morning. I want to end on this point. If you're anything like me, you look at this story or you look at the other ways that we've talked about honoring and you think, I don't, I haven't been doing that well. I haven't honored my parents the way that I probably should or my boss or whoever it might be. And uh, maybe you feel guilty about that. You feel like... And maybe even up to this point, we've been going through all of these commandments and you look at all of these other ones and you say, I just don't live up to that. I, I haven't been doing as well as I should. I, I haven't been a good Christian person, right? Um, there's good news for you today. Let us remember, what is the point of the law? What is the point of the law? The point of the law is to show us our need. The point of the law is to show us our need, our need for what? You see, you may look at your life and think you might think this way: I'm not getting it right. I, I don't know how I'm ever going to get it right. And why can't I just figure it out? I've been in church for years. I should be much better at this by now. And my encouragement to you today is: This is you're right. Um, we can't honor our parents the way that God has called us to. We can't, and and thus we don't deserve the kind of honor that we see Mordecai receive. We don't deserve it. But there was one person who came to this earth worthy of more honor than all of us put together, and that's the Son of God. That's the Savior of the world. That's Jesus. Although he was due all honor, he came to this world not seeking it, but he sought to lay it down, to lay down his dignity for us so that we could be honored. We like Mordecai were exiles in a far-off land. We're living in a world that we weren't meant to live in. We're slaves to this world, slaves to sin, condemned to to die because of it. Just like the Jewish people were condemned to die in a foreign land, and we had no hope, just like Mordecai had no hope. But you see Mordecai deserved the honor that he received because he had done something honorable. But we couldn't even save ourselves. There's nothing that we could have done to to receive the honor that we sought. And knowing this, knowing this, knowing that we didn't deserve it, Jesus came to us, undeserving people. He laid down his life for our justification before God. And here's the thing, if we would simply believe this, if we would simply receive this sort of honor from Jesus, if we would just believe that Jesus came and did all of this for us, we would be honored, not because of what we've done, but we would be honored because of what Jesus has done for us. You see, that's the, that's the message of the gospel. And just like Mordecai, that, well, let's stay on the, just, That's the message of the gospel, is that we did not deserve honor, and yet God came and honored us in Jesus. And we can receive the honor that Jesus deserves by simply trusting in him. And when we do that, just like Mordecai, even though we don't deserve it, we as Christians have the robes of the king placed on our shoulders. We are placed on the king's horse. And it would be said of us, thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. And that's not because we deserved it. It's not because we, we've done something like Mordecai did to deserve this honor from God. But we, we receive this honor from God. Why? Why? Because Jesus came, the most honorable person that ever lived, he came, he lived the life he did, he died for us, and by believing him, we can receive the honor that Jesus is due. What an amazing, I mean, what amazing news. We can receive the honor of the God of the universe because of something that we didn't even do. And by the way, I want to go back to this question where we were talking about, how do I honor people who don't deserve it? How do I honor my parents, others that don't deserve it? I think we all have people in our lives. This is how. This is how we change so that we can honor people who don't deserve it because we see a God who looked at us, dishonorable people, and he sent his son down and he honored us despite the fact that we did not deserve it. He sent his son down and he honored us and he brought us to a place of complete honor because of what Jesus did for us. And so as we see the honor that God gave us, despite the fact that we don't deserve it, as we see that, we're able to honor people in our lives who do not deserve it. It doesn't mean that we bow down to them, that we forget everything that, bad that they've ever done to us. But we can actually learn how to forgive them. We can learn how to respect their opinions. We can learn to set up boundaries in an honorable way. We can learn how to do that as we're informed by the way that the gospel teaches us to do that. And so today, remember that. Would you, if, for the first, if you've not done this before, if you're not a Christian, you can do this for the first time today. You can receive simply by looking at what Jesus did for you and trusting it as your own. You can become a Christian, and God will honor you. He will place the king's robes on your shoulders. Or if you have been a Christian for a long time, you can do this again today. You can remember the way that God has honored you despite the fact that you don't deserve it. And it will, it will teach you how to love others the way that God has loved you. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this word. Thank you for this commandment and the Ten Commandments. I pray that we would remember that it, the main point is that it would point us to our need. I pray that you would help us to see our need this morning. The need for an undeserved honor from you. We so often try to deserve honor in our lives. And so I pray that you would teach us to receive it freely as a gift from you. I know that many of us are probably walking through situations where we need wisdom to know how to deal with brokenness with our parents, brokenness in our workplace, wherever it might be. And so I pray that you would give us that wisdom. I pray that if there are people here who have not become embedded in in a church family that you would lead them there whether that's here or elsewhere so that there would be people with them that can walk alongside them and bear their burdens who could get help help them uh, that could give them wisdom people that have been through the same circumstances Lord so please come and do that work now help us as we worship you help us to receive this honor from you not because we deserve it but because of what Jesus has done